Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And uh, Cody, today we thought we'd get a little a little crazy. We, we came up with this idea that we would somehow attempt to predict the award winners that they're going to hand out at the end of the year. Not really because we're Nostradamuses or anything, but because we kept talking about sort of not only the narratives behind these awards, but like, what are the trends in the early season? Who's doing really well on defense? Who's doing really well on offense? What rookies are popping out? And we just said, look, let's, let's bunch them together. Let's put our little forecaster hats on and let's figure it out. Let's figure out who's going to win these awards. So, I mean, Drew Holiday is going to win the defensive player of the year, right? Okay. I, I did not watch the game yesterday because that was yesterday right when they played the the 76 which one which one which true holiday performance are you referring to pray tell all i I know is i was not watching the game but i saw some thinking basketball intelligentsia were like freaking out about drew holiday defending joel Embiid. i have not seen any clips i didn't watch the game uh ben do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about what you saw in this performance with with drew holiday v Embiid out on the court yes yes holiday v Embiid was a landmark court case in november of 2024 uh cody we have to go back in time okay drew holiday is now defending centers for the celtics i don't know what's going on but the game before they played the timberwolves and we're, we're going to talk about the timberwolves we're going to get to them but they played the Timberwolves, and they have Drew Holiday guarding Carl Anthony Towns. Now, Carl Anthony Towns a lot of times technically plays the four because he's sharing the court with Rudy Gobert and this big, big experiment that they have in Minnesota. But you understand the point. They basically said, Drew, we want you to go guard Cat. And I think the, the theory behind this is that he's really quick and he can extend to the perimeter, so he takes away that advantage. But he's also Drew Holiday, captain of the leg team, so he doesn't get bullied in the post. And uh, did, C- Cody, did you see any of this game? Yeah, I watched the uh, the second half of that Celtics Timberwolves game, and I I do think the theory with Cat especially is because my whole thing with Cat is like, yeah, he's a great three point shooter as a big man. But offensively, the thing that really separates him in my mind is his ability to attack off the bounce, right? And I think, like, he draws in defenders with that shot because, like, you really do have to cover it because he can fire it from five feet behind the line pretty easily. But then if he gets a step on you, he's really good at turning the corner and finishing. And I think the theory with Drew Holiday is Cat, with his speed, is usually able to blow by big guys, but he's not going to blow by Drew Holiday. And Cat's a pretty strong dude, but, like, the center of gravity for Drew makes it so that, like, you're either going to throw him down and get an offensive foul, which is definitely something that happened. I think there was one point where they thought he was going to the free throw line and it turned out to be an offensive foul. And so, like, maybe you give up something with him closing out on the, the three-point shot because he's not tall enough to get up to Towns's what, 6'10", 6'11", three-point release. But in terms of the driving game... I think that's the key here is he can kind of stifle these big men that are more uh, face-up heavy in terms of the way they attack the basket. That's exactly the word I was thinking of, face-up heavy. And there were actually multiple offensive fouls that he drew in that game, leading to Towns fouling out of the game because he was committing so many offensive fouls in addition to normal defensive fouls. And I want to read you his stat line because Drew Holiday just put on a clinic. He did not get abused in the post. He stayed in front of the drives, as you said. Um, He just made life really difficult for Carl Anthony Towns. This is just crazy to say out loud. Drew Holiday is my size. He is like 6'2", 6'3", barefoot, 
Cat has almost a foot on him. Here's the stat line. Carl Anthony Towns the other night against Boston, three for 10 from the floor, did not attempt a free throw. Zero free throws. He had seven points and seven turnovers. That was his stat line, and he fouled out of the game after 28 minutes. He also had three assists, the old three assists, seven turnover, one to two ratio that he has going on there. I I mean, this was incredible. And the other thing it does is it allows Chris Dapps Porzingis to kind of come over and roam and help when needed, both at the basket and in double team situations. So Towns, as you said, is a stretch big, but it keeps Drew on the perimeter and it keeps Porzingis, the shot blocker, closer to the basket because he can guard a non-shooter like Gobert. It's, it's, it's a very interesting, interesting construction, and we haven't even gotten to the Joel Embiid game. That's what I was going to say is that I need to go back and watch this game because, like you said, Cat plays the four, right, the nominal four essentially, and he'll, he'll play the five sometime. It's not clear who's the five or four when Nas is out there. It feels like it's kind of fluid and whatever else. But, like, Embiid is very clearly the five for the 76ers. So from your perspective, how were the Celtics like – how were they using Pers- uh, Porzingis – when Holiday was on Embiid, how did they adjust it compared to how they defended Cat the night before? What, what were some of your observations when Holiday was actually the primary defender for Joel Embiid? Yeah, I think it's a similar thing. They want him on a weaker shooter. I think that's the idea. They're like Embiid is a better shooter to some degree than the forwards that the 76ers start, like Kelly Oubre, who likes to camp out in the corner. So if Porzingis is on Oubre, for instance. He could stay low in the opposite corner or something like that. So I think the idea is when Porzingis is out there, we keep Porzingis closer to the basket. We have Holiday guard a face-up. Like, he likes to hang out at the elbow. He likes to up-fake at the three-point line. He's a good three-point shooter. But Drew's just so quick, he can stay in front of him. Then if you try to bully ball, this is where it gets really interesting to me, Cody. The way the game is officiated now, and I've talked about this before with Shaquille O'Neal. Back when Shaquille O'Neal played, you took the power into your body as a defender. Someone throws the shoulder into you, you try to absorb it and you try to stand up. And then people started to fall over more and certainly Shaq committed his fair share of offensive fouls and he committed his fair share of offensive fouls that weren't called. But what has changed over the years with all the switching and the small ball and the mismatch hunting and all that is that if you're Kyle Lowry, and you have a big man in the post, you're not going to try to stand him up and hold your ground. Once he catches the ball, you're going to wait for that hit and fall over. If you get the call, great. If you don't get the call, you probably weren't in a good situation anyway once he's like six or eight feet from the hoop. So goes back to Cat. Like You can't just power and run over a smaller player. They have a much lower center of gravity. The elbows and the shoulders you're going to throw aren't going to land in the same spot in the body. The officials are going to be quicker to call it when you fall over. And it's, long story short, Embiid got a touch early in the game against Drew, scored in the post. I started thinking like, uh-oh, he might go for 50. This will be a very interesting strategy. Next time down, could not get a good look against Drew. You also have that situation where Porzingis... Drew can front, so he's a much quicker defender as a small. So the front can be more effective. They used to do this with Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart would sometimes guard Drew Holiday for the same reasons. And then you have the big with his length come over and help on the front, on the backside of that pass. That's basically what they're doing. When Porzingis is off the court, it changes things a little bit. For instance, Al Horford, when he would come in, 
would be the primary defender. And then they just go stick Drew Holiday on Tyrese Maxey or whoever needs to be guarded. Drew Holiday makes no sense, Cody. He's like guarding an MVP center. And then he's like, oh, let me go guard an all-star all in the same game. I mean, hey, you want me to guard Carl Anthony Towns? I'll do that. You want me to guard Anthony Edwards? I'll do that. It doesn't matter because I'm Drew Holiday. And I think, okay, maybe I'm looking at Drew through two, like, rose-colored glasses. I think everyone knows at this point I'm a huge Drew Holiday fan. He's Are just, you? Do people I, know I, that? I, you know what, Ben? I'm still, <laughs> I'm still a little hurt. I'm still a little hurt from the trade. But it's okay. We're getting through it because as long as Drew is thriving, we're all happy out who, here. Cody, Cody, who do you like more? Do you like Drew more or Matisse Thibel more? Oh, but just, just Drew Holiday. Bet. Drew Holiday okay. is like I, Matisse. I appreciate like watching defensively, but Drew does so many more like really fun in between things, especially on offense that I think aren't appreciated. So like, there's that aspect, and then there's the two-time teammate of the year thing, Ben. Like, you can't discount the vibes that Drew Holiday brings to a team. Uh, the thing about Drew Holiday, and this is the rose-colored glasses comment. And you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but when I picture like Marcus Smart being like backed down by Embiid. Like, Marcus Smart is the king of, like, he gets a hit from, like, a big man, and those hands are, like, up. He is flying backwards, right? I, I feel like Drew really doesn't flop too much. He's not a guy that's going to, like, I mean, obviously he's going to absorb contact, but he doesn't, like, throw himself out there. I actually found that frustrating sometimes offensively when he was on the Bucks. where I'm like, all right, let's let's flop a little bit more so you can get to the free throw line. Um, but I think the the nature of, like, the big man, attacking somebody that size it's not even the fact that the small guy can flop more it's just that like when you're i don't know 80 pounds heavier 100 pounds like i don't want to exaggerate here eight let's say 80 pounds heavier if you hit someone moving it's going to send them flying like they don't have to accentuate that contact so i do think that that's a really key aspect of the way uh that drew's able to defend somebody like Embiid on those drives i'm kind of fascinated by point guards playing center I'm just so fascinated by it. Like, is it is it a new hack? Does it is there something here for these defenders? Like, let's take uh, thinking basketball favorite Gary Payton the second, mm -hmm. the gauntlet. Okay, is he the tallest six foot two person you've ever seen play basketball? I mean, he's a center, right? Yeah, I mean the lobs that he throws down, he basically is like a rim he's runner. A, he's like a, a rim runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then defensively, he'll like block shots at the rim. And when he switches on to big men, when he switches on to big men, you can see that he's like a regular size human being. And yet he still plays very tall when the, when the shot is contested or when the rebound is contested or things like that. I, I'm just so fascinated by this. You know, the Celtics tried it a little with smart. Who, who else can play center at 6'3"? Bruce Brown? Oh, Bruce Brown's a good one. That's a yeah. good one. Let me, can I float something out to you, Ben? We may have talked about this off mic before in the past, but uh, I, I refer to this like new thing, especially with like Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart. There's not a ton of guys that do this. I think I'm going to refer to it as the Marcus Smart corollary. And I think it's this idea that like if you have a point guard that's able to defend up, somebody like Drew Holiday can go and defend a center or power forward, Marcus Smart, somebody like that, Bruce Brown, like you just said. I think not really Kyle Lowry, but Kyle Lowry maybe sometimes can rotate and do that. But if you have a point guard that's able to do that, their value defensively is actually a lot more valuable than if they were to play another position. Like if Drew Holiday were to play uh, at the two spot next to a traditional point guard, he actually loses some of his defensive value because the value of having your one being able to guard up that way is like, like mathematically, I don't even know how to think about it. We always talk about like two plus two equals five in terms of like some portability concepts. I think this is kind of a defensive 
equivalent where like yeah. Drew Holiday yeah. could be like a plus, I don't know, plus one on defense, but at point guard, maybe it's like a plus one, maybe a two bed, maybe it's like a plus two. But that's that's how I conceive of these kind of guys. I call we, it the Marcus Smart corollary. Yeah, we did this whole thing in another pod. Did we? Yeah, it okay. wasn't off mic. Yeah, we did the okay. entire Marcus Smart corollary this is great yeah. because i think i think when it comes to these kinds of concepts you got to recap them a lot i teach a lot of 14 year olds and if you don't repeat something like seven times in like a 10 minute span like even then it goes over their heads that's a good rule for me as well yes yeah. just yeah. treat me like i'm 14 when it comes to learning <laughs> comprehension I, uh, it's good because you got halfway through the hey look i've watched three movies this year that i've already seen and didn't know that i had already seen them until i got to the end of the movie so uh this time i feel accomplished for realizing Yes, we've already done the Marcus Smart corollary. We have to we have to codify it and get it up because it, it is not only an interesting concept for team building, but it's an interesting concept this year in thinking about how how are you going to win defensive player of the year because there's another small guy. Can I can I just start firing some names out here that have been jumping out to me? That was like an A-list transition by the way. That oh, okay. was that was incredible work. Have so, you seen Alex, way. Have you fire seen away. Alex Caruso play defense this season? Oh, I've seen Alex Caruso play defense. But... I mean, last night against Phoenix, some incredible possessions against Kevin Durant, incredible possessions late in the game. But I don't watch too many Bulls games, and yet I think I've seen most of the Bulls. It's very weird. Watching Bulls games is a very weird experience. You're like, I'm not really watching this game. And then you realize, wait a second, I've been watching this game for 10 straight minutes, and the Bulls are ahead, but they're blowing it, but they're also winning every game. You can't tell if a Bull, the Bulls won or lost any game you watch. Uh, but what is consistent, you know what I'm talking about, Cody. What is consistent is that Alex Caruso is a menace. And when he's out on the court, he's terrorizing opposing teams. And he's like, what, six, four, six, five. He's a little bit bigger, but he can play point guard. I think the weird thing with him is why is he only playing 24 minutes a game? What is going on there? Why doesn't he play more? That's the key part about, like, why he's not a multi-time first-team all-defensive guy. Because I don't know if he's ever... We talked about this on the uh, the when we were looking at the best defensive players over the last 15 years. Because I think we had this weird epiphany at the end where it's like, well, wait a second. How can we rank somebody like him? I don't remember who else. I think Thibel was also in that conversation where it's like, how do you rank a guy that's never, like, consistently played more than 25 minutes per game? So, yeah, Caruso in, like, 23 minutes, 24 minutes is, like, an unbelievable top-tier defensive player. Great question. I don't know why he doesn't play more. I don't know if he's that much of a negative on offense that he's unplayable. Like, I think he has some nice secondary passing chops, right? Like, I've seen him make some of the, like, catch. He can take a couple dribbles in, make a nice pass, but I don't know if he's really creating off the dribble. The shooting is definitely a little bit more of a struggle. I still think he should probably play a little bit more because, you know, I really value high-level guard defense. I value any kind of high-level defense. But I don't know how to conceive of somebody like that in terms of defensive player of the year when you're only playing mid-20 minutes per game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Caruso is like the quintessential dimes and defense guy right now, right? Like if you look at his shooting indicators on open shots, he's below average basically across the board on outside shots. Not terrible, but, you know, bottom, bottom sort of quartile or third of the league for guys that shoot jumpers from outside. So that's not his thing. He's not really three and D, but hustle plays, extra passes, like pick up a loose ball, make a beautiful dime make a steal, turn you over, get out in transition, make a beautiful pass. This is the sort of Caruso model. And Cody, what's your moratorium on stats? Is it 10 games? What is it? When does it lift? When are we allowed to talk about things that have happened in basketball? Well, I think (laughs) that's one way to put it. Listen, the moratorium is for me. Like You can do whatever you want. I think I'm looking at the Okay, first of all, people, you need to weigh in on this. We had a discussion beforehand, and I referenced somebody's record. And then Ben's like, well, that's a stat. And I'm like, the record isn't the stat. That's something else. And I was trying to talk about more granular stats. So I personally don't think a record counts as like a stat in terms of the moratorium. So you, so you want the poll. Is a, is a record, is the team record a stat? That's what yeah. you're looking for? Yeah. Can, can I look at team stats if I have a moratorium on looking at stats? Like, is that acceptable? Okay. That's right. what I we'll, we'll get to the bottom of that. We'll ask the people and, and they'll get back to us. Anyway, continue with your original point. Well, what I was going to say is like, I'm looking at the standings right now. The Nuggets have played like nine games. I think I can start looking at stats. Like right now, if I start pulling some stuff up, I would feel okay with myself if we did it. So I'm, I'm okay with stats at the moment. Okay. The reason I asked is because uh, Alex Caruso has played nine games so far for the Bulls. Okay. A lot of his advanced metrics already look fantastic. They look fantastic because of his defense. Just as a very crude indicator in a very, very small sample, we continue to see this pattern where he's a big defensive impact guy. And the Bulls' defensive rating with him on the bench when he's off the court is like 118 right now. It's around 118. When he's on the court, it's 111. So you're getting this signal again, even though he's a guard, where it's like, Not only does he have obvious impact from the plays he makes and the elite players that he guards, you're going to guard a one sometimes, you're going to guard a two. Against Phoenix, you're going to guard Kevin Durant, whether he's playing three or four, he's 6'10". It doesn't matter. Caruso can bother him. So you have that. Um, I just wonder if there's enough minutes played and enough narrative behind a team that may end up with a mediocre defense like Chicago overall for him to get into like the end of the year when we get serious you know are you going to be able to get that marcus smart narrative boost and win defensive player of the year we have to get we have to jump to big men what do you think i think uh, it's really tough because i see um, i'm looking at his past right now in terms of awards he won he was actually all defensive first team last year i was wrong about that i thought he was second team but he was first team all defense last year and last year he played what, he played 28 minutes a game? 23. He played 23 and a half minutes a game, and he was first team all defense. That's how I, good That's how good he is on defense. That is wild to me. Like, I don't – do you really think that somebody that's playing that level of defense 
is bringing that much more value defensively than somebody that's like a couple notches down but is playing like 35, 36 minutes a game. Oh, okay. I think mathematically the answer is no. I don't think you can bridge that gap. But if you're talking about like the spirit of all defense, like per minute, per minute with some sort of reasonable cutoff, meaning you're not looking at a guy that plays nine minutes a game. Like you can watch Caruso play games or stretches where he plays 26, 30, 34 minutes a night and it looks the same. And so maybe voters do a little bit of an, an accounting or an adjustment where they say like, ah, I'm not going to hold him too much against the fact, I'm not going to hold it against him too much that he doesn't get in because Levine and DeRozan take up like two of the three slots for most of the game that he could play. Something like that, I, I imagine. Well, let me ask you something then, because Gary Payton II is a player that actually hasn't played a ton of games, period, just because of injuries and whatnot in the past. But I think you and I would both agree that like minute per minute basis, he's right near the top of the league in terms of how valuable you are defensively as a guard. But the most minutes he's ever played in a season per game is right now where it's 19.9. So he's functionally playing 20 minutes per game. Could you, if Gary Payton, the second played 20 no. minutes per game, could you give him an all defense spot? I don't know if I would. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But I think, but I think that's the point. I think the lower you get, the more you push that concept for voters, but we've seen this before. We've seen like defensive specialists who play fewer minutes, get love from coaches and voters when it comes to something at the end of the year, like, like all defense. Um, I don't, I don't want to rack my brain on all defense right now, Cody. I want to, I want to get to the big kahuna. Yeah. I want to talk about the defensive player of the year. We've been, we've been bandying about the guards, which are fascinating, but usually it goes to a big, a forward or a big. Um, there are some names that could possibly, I mean, heck, Draymond Green is GP2's teammate. Don't you think if Golden State has a good defense that he would be the one to pick up the credit, assuming he plays, you know, 65 games or whatever you need. Yeah, without question. I think Draymond Green is pretty pretty clearly known to everyone as, like, the captain of their defense. Okay, can I also make a crazy point? The Please. last two defensive player of the year winners both play on Memphis right now, and Memphis is not doing good basketball. <laughs> okay, I'm actually glad you brought this up. I need to see if I can pull this up somewhere because I was trying to figure out the history of defensive well, you, player you of the year. You need a stat for that. Yeah, you would have to actually look at information. Okay, I could look in the past, Ben. <laughs> Just I'm, go I'm on allowed the vibes. to go in the past. Just vibe right. it off. So as far as I'm concerned, there have only been two teams in NBA history that have had two defensive player of the years that started next to each other. Okay, as far as I'm concerned, it's only happened twice and it's only happened once as far as I'm concerned in the playoffs, in the playoffs, okay? So not counting this Grizzlies team. This would actually be the third time. Wait a second. You're talking about a team where two current or just two defensive player of the year players, period, have been on the same team? So there's only been two other times besides this year with the Grizzlies where two players that previously to that team had one defensive player of the year and they started together. Oh, boy. Do you wow. want to try and guess the two that I found? It's a pretty big question. This, this, it is, a I, I, this is a really out of left field question. Um, well, you know what's funny is Tim Duncan never won Defensive Player of the Year. So it feels like Tim Duncan and David Robinson should be one of the answers, but they're not. Nope. No, they're not. So, uh, boy, is it more recent? Marc Gasol and Kawhi Leonard. 
Oh my goodness! There's three times that <laughs> okay. I, I missed that one. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm gonna set out the other two. I've done my work here. Yes, you did it. That's great. You want me to tell you the other two? That yeah. I found? Who are the other two? Okay. Wow. I feel really <laughs> terrible. I, I looked. The thing with Marcus Sauls. There's how a do time we know with, it's not four or five now? There, there probably are. I hope somebody finds some more uh, options for me here. But the Lakers in like 2020, I tried to find it because they had there was oh, a run yeah. of like Joakim Noah, Tyson Chandler, yeah, Marcus Sauls. None of them played together, so none yeah. of those count. Dwight but, Howard. The one, Dwight Howard, none of them were ever on the same, started at the same time. Yeah. 2006, regular season. Miami Heat had a few games where they started Alonzo Mourning and Gary Payton. Oh, wow. That is yeah. a, that's a serious trivia question. That's yeah. a good one. Here's yeah. the other one in the playoffs. I think it was, oh, I'm going to get the year wrong. It's either 2012 or 2013. The Lakers, who had Metal World Peace and Dwight Howard on yeah. the same team. Yeah, okay. Um Cody, the, the, the people have weighed in. The people have weighed in. We've got, we asked, we asked Twitter, uh, we've got about 400 votes that have come in. Is a team's record a stat? Is a team's record a stat? 62% say a team's record, yes, it is a stat. Okay. Okay. Wait, are we allowed to look at this? Like, does this poll count as a stat in terms of our moratorium or no? Let's continue with the discussion about okay. good defenders. Uh, you were on the Lakers, okay? Okay. Can, can Anthony Davis win Defensive Player of the Year? I think the interesting thing with Anthony Davis, Ben, is it feels like a lot of his defensive brilliance that we've seen, the rim protection, the motor, the just dominance with his size, has mostly been in the playoffs. Like, hmm. I think maybe uh, with the with the Pelicans in like 2017-ish, he had a chance to be an all defense. I mean, a defensive player of the year candidate, but it hasn't felt like he's brought that level of defensive dominance to be a a true DPOY candidate in this season. Yeah, I I kind of feel that I I think they almost need him to be that to have a really good regular season because the offense is looking very bumpy. I mean, this would be the third straight show that we've. This is our third show of the year, and this would be the third straight show that we've talked about this a little bit, so I don't want to get stuck on it. But yep. I think the short of it is if Austin Reeves does not ever return to the form that he showed at the end of last year and the playoffs, you lose a certain caliber of ball handler and offensive initiator that that team desperately needs, especially, I mean, you know, despite the fact that LeBron James doesn't age, they just need more than him and... Uh, trick-or-treat D'Angelo Russell, who like one night is one for nine with eight turnovers, and then the next night he makes seven threes. They just need more of that. So if they don't have that offensive punch, I feel like they need to be a sort of a, a team with a great defensive identity, and that defensive identity would come from Davis. But I think your assessment is is spot on and that historically, at least in the last like four or five years, that's not been something he's been able to bring nightly in the regular season, whereas he can ramp it up in shorter periods at the playoffs. So I think we're on the same page here. I, I would not think he's going to win it. Okay. Let me let me bring up another player that I'm actually really interested in based on how things have started. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, can I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a twofer here. I'm going to give you a twofer. Okay. What do you think about the case for either Giannis or Brooke Lopez? Boy, um, I feel like I feel like the bumpy buck situation hurts their case. So it's almost like they could be near where they were defensively in the past at this, you know, defensive 
player of the year level defender. They're in the conversation. They're on the final ballot, wherever they've been in the last like three, four, five years. They could play similarly, but I think if the season's really bumpy, I think if you have stuff like coaching hot seats and we're disappointed in our seed and our record, literally it would probably take like a horrendous offense and the best defense in the league by a mile to get either one of those guys in the conversation. And so it's early in the year, but what I'm seeing in Milwaukee makes me think that we will kind of, as you predicted, as you, as you, I mean, if we said there's no Nostradamuses here, but I lied. I mean, Cody told everyone this exact thing was going to happen at the beginning of the year, like to a T. I think that makes it hard for him to get the narrative and probably the perspective of like, oh God, what a great defensive season. Because also the other thing is without the guards there to help them in the coverages that they've been playing in that scheme that they've been playing, it exposes those guys more and sort of softens them up while not making them look as good. It's a lot nicer when you have Drew Holiday or Eric Bledsoe chasing guys around screens into your drop. Well, even like Javon Carter or yep. anyone else that might be even a little bit younger. I'm looking, this, this is an exciting moment, looking at the thinkbasketball.net database right now. For the first uh, time this year. The first time. Yeah. Ben, the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, their relative defensive rating is six points worse than league average. Six points worse than league average like we haven't seen a bucks defense that's been that much worse than league average in a in a very long time the only teams that are worse than them right now are the utah jazz the the spurs and the the washington wizards and from watching them whoa it, it, it <laughs> right that's that puts it into perspective ben but it feels like when i've watched them like Giannis is still making some pretty incredible defensive plays like he's still agile enough to beat people at the rim He's able to move around and switch on to other guys. Like, he's not necessarily the best at that switching part, but I think the motor and being able to track players down and contest them at the rim still looks great. Brooke Lopez just made a... I mean, it probably shouldn't have been a close game against the Pistons yesterday, but he made a really clutch couple of blocks, I think, at the end of that game protecting the rim. Uh, so if they keep doing their drop coverage, and obviously the drop coverage doesn't work as well if you don't have a good chasing uh defensive guard which you know the Bucks don't really have right now so like you said I think it looks like they're still about as good as they've been but when you're not within the context that like helps you be as successful I'm I'm a little bit more nervous about their candidacy this year I agree with you I agree with you um do you think let's stick with these twin tower concepts of of big drop defenders and versatile forwards do you think either of the Cleveland Cavaliers players Jared Allen or Evan Mobley can get in this discussion this season. I actually, right before recording, I took Mobley out of my top five and at least mm. put him in my bubble top 10-ish defensive player of the year candidates. Now, is that because Cleveland has also had a little bit of a bumpy start or is it just something else entirely? Okay, so I think the sort of gross thing when it comes to a lot of the, all not a lot of, all of these different awards is that the narrative aspect of it is so important to a player's candidacy right and i think there's kind of a not great taste in people's mouths about how the cavaliers played against the knicks in the playoffs last year and i think especially somebody like evan mobley who and i know you and i both have really high expectations for him i still think he looks incredible defensively like whenever i check in i'm like mobley is still doing mobley things on defense but i think that shine is going to start coming off a little bit more and i think people will start will continue appreciating it because he's still bringing a lot to the game. But I think people are going to like scratch their heads at a few other things. They're like, all right, but what, what, he, what does he look like in the playoffs? Okay, but what happens if he was a full-time five? Like, 
okay, why don't they have a top two defense in the league right now? So I think all of those things in combination are probably going to hold them back from being in like the top few picks. Yeah, I agree with you. I have a couple other juicy names that I think are going to be at the top of this awards ballot potentially at the end of the year. But before we crescendo in that direction, I want to give you a chance to throw out a few more names yourself. So who who else do you think, uh, who else is going to be on your ballot basically? Okay. So here's a guy that I think seen some noise on the Twitters on the X out there, but he's not necessarily a big man. But I think what's interesting is you look at the history and always near the top, there's somebody that's not a big man that sneaks in there, right? Like Marcus Smart won a couple of years ago. Mikhail Bridges finished second last year. Ben Simmons finished second a couple of times. Like there's always a couple of guys like that. And I think the dark horse for a guy that's going to make his way into that conversation is going to be Jaden McDaniels this year. Oh, oh, okay. Let's do it. Yep. Let's do it. Let's, Let's talk, talk about Jayden it. Jaden McDaniels, yep. So have you seen the Minnesota Timberwolves play? <laughs> oh, I've seen the Minnesota Timberwolves play. Um... Let's let's take a step back. Let's all relax. Let's have a little sip of tea or coffee or whatever you're drinking. And uh, let's inhale and exhale and, and just soak this all in. The Timberwolves, to start the year, they're 5-2. and two. They've had a great start. The defense is by far the best defense in the league through seven or eight games or seven games, whatever I said it was. Um, small sample, but... When you watch them play, Jaden McDaniels is a ridiculously good defender. Very long, great at closing out and recovering, getting into passing lanes, can switch and guard multiple defenders. Anthony Edwards has phenomenal man possessions. There was a possession at the end of the game the other night against the Celtics, that aforementioned game we were talking about. It was an amazing game, by the way. Um, Edwards guarding Jason Tatum in isolation, I think in overtime, slides with him perfectly, completely stonewalls him, rips him, gets a steal, forces a jump ball. Minnesota wins the jump ball. Edwards comes down, hits a three. He just completely took over the game. It was spectacular. But he has these talents defensively that fit in with the athleticism and the ranginess of the team. And it's built around a guy who I know you think has lost all the narrative luster one could lose. It's his, all, his, all his goodwill French uh, sort of credits have gone to a, a rookie in San Antonio. But Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert is playing very well. Rudy Gobert's rim presence has been incredibly strong even last year in Minnesota still. So one, are we talking about a team that is either the best defense in the league or going to finish with like a top three or four defense. And two, if that's the case, if they continue to be really, really, really good defensively, do these guys split votes? Does one of them emerge as a favorite? We saw Smart on the Celtics, despite the presence of Rob Williams, despite the uh, understated brilliance of Jason Tatum and players like that. Does that happen in Minnesota? Or does one of those guys emerge? That's a great question. I think at the end of the day, both are going to end up very high on people's ballots. And, you know, I think this is also Jaden McDaniels is by far the best defensive player that Gobert has ever played with before the Timberwolves, like really not strong perimeter types of players. I mean, Mike Conley's great and Joe Ingles is good and whatever else, but I think Jaden McDaniels is another level higher. We talk about defensive performances, that same game where we were just talking about with Drew Holiday defending Cat 
Um, it's not all about one-on-one matchups, but I thought some of the possessions he had on Tatum were just just absorbing him. Just like, and you know, Anthony Edwards can move his feet really well, but McDaniel says the reach, his length, just lets him like also switch off and go to the nail and cause havoc there. Um, but can can I give you like a maybe hot take? Can I give you a big proclamation right now, Ben? Can I put my Nostradamus hat on? Write you a quatrain, whatever else you need. Is oh, wow, quatrain. Is it about Minnesota? Uh, yes, it is, Ben. Okay, let's do it. We're ready. Okay, I think, despite some past narrative conversations, I think Gobert's going to win Defensive Player of the Year this season. What What is going on? Yeah, what I, is I happening? Gonna, I think he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. <sighs> the issue, because here's the other thing, I was going through the list of everyone, and it might be easier if there was somebody that had a huge, a huge narrative boost, but I actually think a lot of the other guys that are going to comp- be competing at the top. I don't necessarily know if they're sitting like the prettiest in everyone's eyes easy uh, as well, right? I don't think they have this quite as much shine as they may have had in seasons when they were various uh, serious contenders. And I kind of think we maybe have some distance. If the Timberwolves have a great defense, despite like Carl Anthony Towns at the four, um, they have like the best defense in the league. I think people are going to be like, okay, Gobert's actually what what they traded for. Like this is exactly what they wanted is someone to transform the defense. So I think he's going to get his flowers again. Oh, man, I, I might agree with you. I haven't fully finalized my ballot, but I'm angry. I'm very angry because I thought I was going to come in and backdoor this Minnesota situation and you would not be anywhere near the sort of Gobert narrative. And now to discover that uh, you may also have. I mean, this is this. Uh, how do I recover? Um, let me let me throw <laughs> let me throw someone out there. Yep. What do you think of someone in Toronto getting a narrative I mean, it was OG last year for like a brief period of time. Scotty Barnes looks way better to me this season. Physically, he looks fantastic. I mean, he's, I think he's averaging like 20, 10, and 5 just on the raw stats, which only, I believe, Jokic and Embiid are also doing. So, I mean, he, he's having kind of a monster season. If Toronto were to get a good seed and get a good seat based on the defense because it's uh, I, it's not looking like it's going to be based on the offense. I just want to I just want to throw that out there. Like could that be something that gets them some narrative boost at the end of the year one of those guys. So uh full disclosure here, I'm pretty sure I've only watched the Raptors once. I have no reason why I haven't watched the Raptors. They just seem to be a team that I haven't encountered too much. So I'm going to ask you here because I think the thing with the Raptors is that uh, OG Ananobi is perennially like A, at the top of everyone's trading block, but B, people freak (laughs) out about like Squat King out there ripping people in the post and just like in general being a great defensive player. Scotty Barnes, I think from what I remember last season, one of the highest motor guys in the league. Like this guy's always going. He can get from one end of the court really quickly. Uh, I mean, like I'm going to contest over here. I'm going to double team over here. Pascal Siakam himself isn't a slouch like at all on defense. Like I think there's a good chance that he could easily be in the conversation with those three. So like if the Raptors got some kind of narrative boost, who so far do you think it would go to from them? (sighs) That's a good question. I mean, OG. Okay. So, Last year, he finished seventh in defensive player of the year. So there definitely is this sort of idea that that he's an elite defender for the Raptors. So it could go to him. I think there's another thing we have to consider here. And, we, and it's good that we started the show with Drew Holiday guarding centers and things like that. 
I think when a player is part of a scheme that is unique or different or has long in-depth articles written about defensive coordinators doing fancy things with that, I think that helps move you up. Don't you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think if like if Toronto continues to be a good defense and they have like a top three or top five defense, the question becomes, is there something you can latch onto there? Is there something that Darko says in a press conference about, well, we want OG to guard this guy one night and this guard the other other night? Or are they just a top defense, Cody, because they're just playing four bigs? Like, they're just, they weren't, it's like the anti Mike D'Antoni. They're like, offense. We don't want offensive players on the court. We want defense. We're going to have uh, OG and we're going to have Scotty Barnes and we're going to have Pascal Siakam and we're going to have, I mean, who else would they start? Chris Boucher? They're just throwing people out there that are long and, and can guard and then they, they need someone to handle the ball. So that's the issue, like the difference between them and like the Timberwolves, right? Is you can like look at Jaden McDaniels and you can look at Rudy Gobert and very clearly be like, all right, this is this person's role. Gobert's going to be like the drop big and kind of like be the anchor for everything, whereas McDaniels is doing all these other things. I don't necessarily know what the difference in the roles would be for some of these other guys on the Raptors. I, it feels like, like you said, it's the the synergy between them all that allows them to be like, a high, if they are a high-level defense at the end of the year, it would be the synergy between all of them that allows them to be like, oh, we can kind of go out there and play these weird, funky defensive schemes because all of us are like this and not necessarily one of us stands out in a certain way. Yeah, I'm, I'm not confident in it. I'm not nope. sure. I'm not, not sure either. one of them will be on my ballot. There is one more guy, though, that I, I think I got to put on my ballot. I think I got to put on my ballot. And um, I'm looking at the odds for defensive player of the year. And he's not anywhere near the top. But I think I'm, I think I'm sticking him on my ballot. Can I, okay? can, I step in? can I step in for a second? Can I step in for a second? So I think, I wonder, I wonder. Because I have somebody that was about to say the same thing. But I think you have uh, the other one. I'll say it that way. I think you have the other one in this conversation. So keep, keep going. Keep going. Who There's two say? of them? I think there's two of them. I think if it's who I think it is. There is another. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. That was a 1983 movie reference. I was hoping that was better than my 1967 movie reference from, from last week. You got to keep moving it up. Keep moving it up. Yeah. And just go by decade. We'll, we'll hit the audience at some point. <laughs> They'll know what I'm talking about. Cody, I kind of think you have to talk about Joel Embiid in this conversation. Joel, that's who you're going to say. Mm. Like, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think, man... I think Embiid, when you look at the past, like the rim protection numbers are incredible. And I think people do have, despite some of the issues that we may have seen offensively in the playoffs last year, like the rim deterrence that he showcased against the Celtics, I think that stands out nicely in people's minds. What 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 is your case for Embiid being up here? Oh, I think if Philadelphia has a good season, I mean, they're, they look very good to me at the start of the year. I'll, I'll say this about the 76ers at the start of the year. I think it's very clear, at least to me, that they are not much worse than they were last year. Like, that is the absolute bare minimum, right? They did not get much worse. The question is, did they get better and how much better? Mm. And it's a little addition by subtraction. It's a little growth with Maxi. It's a little changing things. We talked about this last week. I was really thinking about your Kelly Oubre thing as I watched them this week. Because if you put Kelly Oubre in a system where he has to make decisions, like the Golden State system, and he has to hit a lot of threes, that's, that's not his strength. 
If you put Kelly Oubre in a system where he's slashing, running, getting out in transition, crashing the boards, and finishing plays, well, all of a sudden he becomes a lot more valuable. And that's essentially what he needs to do out there next to Embiid and to some degree next to Maxi. So if they have a good year, yes, they're going to need a good offense as well to finish near the top of the conference. I mean, right now they're six and one. They're playing at a, at a great pace. If I look at our uh, board for Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash thinking basketball, Philly's clocking in at a 72 win pace just behind the Celtics for the best team in the league. That'll, that'll regress down. You know, it's only a handful of games, but that looks at shooting luck. That looks at strength of opponent. And basically what you're seeing is, and this matches the eye test when I watch them, like, oh, this is still a really good team. This is still a team that's going to rip off 50-plus games, maybe 55-plus wins in a season like this and compete near the top of the conference. And they have one of the best defenses in the league to start. How do you get one of the best defenses in the league? You build it around the monster, Joel Embiid. You said it. Great rim protection. And I think there's a narrative hook there where it's like, it looks like they're thinning out their roster with Harden leaving. Who knows what moves they make for the rest of the year? Maybe this all goes up in smoke. But if you get to the end of the year and they have a great year, and maybe they don't want to give him MVP because they gave him MVP last year, and he starts talking about how he's selling out on defense and putting up big defensive numbers, there's your defensive player of the year right there, Cody. Hmm. I'm I'm absolutely buying. Like These are stocks. I'm all in. You sold it to me. I think the one thing that the 76ers need to do to guarantee that they have a much better defense is Give Robert Covington more minutes. Let's get this. Let's get the band back together. The numbers from like 2017 between Robert Covington and Joel Embiid were were phenomenal, or maybe 2018. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, 2018. Give him, yeah. give him more minutes, and then we are guaranteed. But yeah, I think everything you said from the narrative side of it, uh, especially with the fact that Harden left, and it's like, oh, what are the 76ers going to do? I'm into this, Ben. I think Embiid is a really good chance of finishing high up there. Who who were you thinking of? Who was your other? Uh, Princess Leia candidate. I thought, okay, what's a Star Wars reference? I just, yeah. I, I'm sorry I didn't get it off one line yeah. in the midst of it. That's, that's my bad. But um, I thought you were going to say a rookie. A and rookie? I thought you were, were going to say a rookie that's different from the rookie I was going to say. Yeah, okay. No, I, let's talk about him. That's a good okay. one. Yep. Which one? Yeah. Well, if you look at the uh, sort of betting lines, the accumulation of the betting lines, the fourth favorite to win rookie of the year uh, sorry, to win Defensive Player of the Year, is Victor Wembanyama. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not think the Spurs defense is going to be good enough to get him there. I do think, like, no matter what happens, he's going to get some votes. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the end of the year, whether he finishes 12th or 6th or 8th, somebody is probably going to vote Victor Wembanyama somewhere on their ballot just because of the sheer insanity of the defensive plays he makes the sheer sort of obvious impact that he's having but you know when your team struggles and you don't have a good defense and you're just a rookie I think it's hard to get there so Chet Holmgren is the other guy would you like to make a case that that he can climb up the boards here actually I thought that was going to be the player that you were going to make the case for because I I'm sitting here thinking that Victor Wembanyama is like a top five defensive player of the year like a ward getter 
is like a lock. Like I would lock that in right now if we were lock if we were locking things, if we were a podcast that locked, I would so lock that in right now, despite the fact that their defense is just numerically atrocious. I don't think it matters. I think the clips, Ben, not the clippers, the clips are gonna be enough to get Wimbenyama quite a few votes. Numerically atrocious. I yeah. like that. Um I think it's time for brass tacks. I think we have to I think we have to figure out an order here that's what everyone needs and wants they they're demanding this because that's we're going to have to come back at the end of the year and score the, score this nonsense right we're going to have to Can figure out a, there's a name we're leaving off then there uh, mm, mm, i know it's a tough mm, one is it it's really a, is it really oh. are we really leaving him off i mean you can if you want cody oh, wow. when you have the platform to list your ballot you can just put him forth like i know you want to like i know you just you just want to maybe he'll be fourth like he is every year in Defensive Player of the Year. We're not talking about the same person. Ben. Oh, oh, ben. okay. Reigning Defensive Player of the Year, Jaron Jackson Jr. We already did. I mentioned him and Smarter on the we same didn't, team. Like, we, had the whole... about his, we didn't talk about his case, though. So are you going to have Bam fourth? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, I actually don't have Bam in my top five. I don't. Okay. Uh, yes, last year, Jaron Jackson Jr. won Defensive Player of the Year barely over Brooke Lopez. Evan Mobley came in third. I, I point this out to say that Evan Mobley is the second favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is the third favorite. I, I do think it gets interesting with Memphis if they win like 30, 36 games or something. Mm -hmm. What does that do for a candidacy? Let's say they have a good defense. What does that do for a candidacy like this, especially with Marcus Smart also joining the team? What, what do you think? Sell, sell me on – are you going to have him – in your top five? Well, I don't think I don't think I'll have smart. I don't right now. I think their defense has to be like incredible for both of them to be in there. And I think Jaron Jackson is just going to absorb a lot of those votes. But I think narrative wise, Ben, I feel like there wasn't a lot of there weren't a lot of kind words about Jaron after the uh, the overseas, the international play over mm. the summer. I think mm. a lot of people are like really angry about the rebounding thing. I think people are getting more attuned to like the fouling thing and him playing like I don't know, 29 minutes a game because he's he's getting his fifth foul in the first seven minutes of the game. Uh, but I mean, like, in general, this is the guy that just won Defensive Player of the Year, and he looks... I don't know, Ben, can you explain to me why the Grizzlies' defense isn't as good as it should be, given the talent that's out there? I, I, what talent? Yeah. <laughs> Jaron and Smart? Like, I, uh, yeah, ba but... I... Bane's a good defensive player. Like, I feel like... I don't know. They basically have the same starters. I guess Steven Adams probably added quite a bit of juice to their defense, but even he didn't play a ton of minutes last year. I just don't understand why their defense isn't better uh, than what it has started off with. I mean, it's it's okay. It's in the top half of the league, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I just think that it, even in a small sample like this, the challenge Memphis is having is you lose all your depth. This is what we've talked about. You lose all the extra players. And I think that adds up on both ends of the court. The offense doesn't make the game as easy for the defense. You have more empty possessions. It's it's uh, it's harder to score in the NBA against a set defense. So that means when your offense is good and you're scoring, then your defense is set. When your offense is struggling, the other team's getting out in transition. When you're turning the ball over, the other team's getting out in transition. So I think their defense is still fine it looks fine to me I think it'll be okay during the course of the season I think I'd, I would be more surprised if the defense sort of fell apart mm -hmm. if you will than any other result with the team there's there's so many question marks with this team 
about players coming back from injury and the rotation and what happens when John Morant gets back. And the thing that would really surprise me is if the defense fell off. So I think the defense is, for those guys in particular, Smart and Jaron Jackson, is still pretty strong. I just think you're right. I just don't, I just don't know if the narrative is going to be there if the team is kind of insignificant. Okay, we're on the same page. And I'm just going to say his name, even though he's more on the bubble for me, but I love Herb Jones as a defensive player, but I don't think he's going to, he's not going to crack the top five. All right, Ben, brass tacks. How are we going to do this? Uh, we're going to have to reveal our our ballot. I think we should have a ballot ranked one through five, and um, and then we'll have to figure out how to score this. Maybe we'll ask the audience or something. I don't know. Can I Can I pitch something to you? Right now, right here, in front of everyone? In front of, in front of... The internet in front of Taylor Swift in front of anyone else that's watching this because we Cody. all know that Swifty's a big thinking basketballer. Cody, let's take a timeout. Okay. We, have to, we have to do this. We need to play some somber music. I'm really sorry to tell you this. Taylor Swift doesn't watch the show. Of course yeah. she does. Yeah, she doesn't watch the show. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't you listened to the new releases? There's definitely pro thinking. There, there are references. Propaganda. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The blank, blank space is, release. Yeah. <laughs> track three is portability. <laughs> yeah, all right let's let's so, do brass tacks what if we did um like you you pick your winner and then you just pick your top five not necessarily in an order you just pick the players that you think will finish in the top five or do you think the ranking is important for this well the only reason the ranking would be important is it gives us more fun ways to score okay that's it yeah okay yeah i mean we could also do we could also do just top five and a winner and the winner has more points you know, you put you put your bet on the winner or something like that. Okay, here's my thought then. If you have a player in the top five and he ends up in the top five, but not in the right place, you get one point. Mm-hmm. If you have a player ranked in the correct spot, Ooh. you get three points. Ooh. If you pick the winner, that's five points. Okay, I like that. That sound good? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. I'm ready. Okay. I mean, I'm uh, not ready, but you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll do this. Uh, I actually don't have mine ranked. I just had them <laughs> in the top five. So let me let me let me come up with something real quick here. Okay, I think I'm going to do it this way. I am going to do it this way. My win- I'm going to start with five. Actually, number five, number five. Um, this is your number five. This is my number five. Yeah, this is very exciting. Victor Wembanyama. He's number five. Wow. Yep. Wow. He's going five for me. Do you want me to do my whole list and then you do yours? Uh, I'll do I'll do my number five. Okay, let's do it that way. Why not? Why not? I think I think I have my list. I think I have my list the way I want it. Yep. Okay. I mean, this is just nuts. I don't know what I'm doing. This. <laughs> why did we subject ourselves to this? Why don't we just stop? We had the conversation. Let's just stop. Who wants this to is... come back in April and look at this? Ben, this is what brings Taylor Swift back every time right here is the list. So we've right. got to keep doing it. Okay. If it's I got a Taylor. blank space, baby. Okay. I'm writing Victor Wembanyama's name. Okay. Uh, my number five, I'm going to go with Bam Adebayo. Oh, you are putting him in the top five. I just, yeah, he's just, he's just there. Yeah. He's always in the top five. That's he's probably there. a really yeah. good pick. Yeah. That's a good pick. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Num- number four. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to have the same number four. Draymond Green? Oh, No. 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 Not okay. my number four. Number four, I have Jaden McDaniels. Oh, you have Jaden McDaniels in your top five. Okay. Yeah. No, no. I couldn't yeah. quite get a... I, I think in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to get one non-big in here. That was my whole philosophy. I'm going to get one non-big. So. Uh, well, Wemby is a number five. Draymond is number four. So we haven't seen your non-big yet. No, you haven't, Ben. Okay. Uh, this is. I just want to say that I have Draymond number three. 
Oh, okay. You have Draymond yeah. number three. Okay, so yeah. we're we're in like the same ballpark. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Number three, I have Jaron Jackson Jr. Wow. Wow. And who's your number two? This is wait a second. Jaron Jackson Jr. Yep. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a big as well. So mm-hmm. who's your number two? What's happening? This is Drew, Hol- he- Drew Holiday is your number two. This is my heater take. I think the Celtics are going to absolutely cruise this season. And I think all of the buzz we're getting for Drew Holiday going to a new team, the Bucks defense craters, the Celtics are able to do all these weird things on defense. There's always some kind of smaller player that ends up in the top three. Drew Holiday, number two for me. Can I change my ballot? <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you want to do? I forgot about Drew. You, oh, we no, started I mean, the episode. I re- well, no, I started the episode and I wrote him here. And we yeah. talked about Chet and Wemby, and then we talked about JJJ, and we talked about the Toronto guys. I actually was wondering if you were going to bring up Wendell Carter Jr. because mm-hmm. Orlando has a defensive thing and all that. Um, yeah. And then Drew is listed in those names, and I forgot to put him in my final final order, and now I'm really stuck because I can't really. Can you displace Bam? Oh, this is horrible. This is I'll horrible. let you sw- I'll, if you want to switch out. I'll let you switch out. Okay, you'll let me switch out? I, I, just, I will. I, I just don't know who to swap. Okay, okay. Let's do this. Let's do okay. this. Okay. I kind of agree with you. I kind of agree with you that Drew Holiday could get some seriously cool defensive player of the year buzz. Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with that. Um, I am going to... Was it... What if Draymond misses a lot of games? What if... I, I know. What if I pulled Draymond out? What if I, I went crazy I, I, and pulled him out? I think that actually makes the most sense given. Okay. Your list. I'm do. gonna I do. I'm gonna literally swap. I'm gonna literally make that swap and okay. go. Oh, but then but there's this whole thing where the Warriors <laughs> could be kind of good. Mm-hmm. This is this is really torturous. Chris Paul going to the bench actually helps Draymond's case for defensive player of the year, because then they're just good. They're like well, everything, stri- everywhere, all at once, and win all the stri- Oscars. Strategically, 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 it's better for me if I have a difference than you. But you also have Draymond in your ballot. At number- I- mm. Why are you doing this to me, Cody? This is so much fun. This is the best. Listen Why the are best. you doing? Who who enjoys listening to this level of torture about absolutely nothing? Um, what did I, was I say? Thinking defensive player of the year. In November. Well, we, but the thing Everyone is, we we both have Gobert. We both have Gobert at oh, the top. Okay. Yeah, so I'll go Gobert, Embiid, uh, Draymond. I'll go. I'll I'll get crazy. I'll put Drew fourth. Okay. And I will go with. Uh, no, I got to keep Bam in here. I got to keep Bam in here. This is why is this happening to me? This is horrible. Um. <laughs> I'm leaving it. I'm leaving it as it is. Good. That's it. I'll Good. give you Drew. So who, who's your who's your top five? Gobert, Embiid, Draymond, Jaden McDaniels, and Bam on him. What did Bam finish last year in the voting? He was uh, one, two, three, five. I think he was fifth, wasn't he? He was fifth. He was fifth. Yeah, I'm going to keep Bam in. Okay. Going to keep okay. him in. I think the my regret right now feeling it is you really sold me on the Embiid thing, and I didn't really have him on my radar for this, but I'm not going to swap him in. I'm not going to swap him in, but I think if if we had had this conversation and then I made a list, I think Embiid would be in my top five. But as of right now, I'm going to stick with Gobert one, Drew Holiday two, Jaron Jackson three, Draymond Green four, and Victor Wembanyama five. 
to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. It's where you can check out all of our daily instat leaderboards that Cody refuses to look at for some reason. They're, they're designed to help him in this conversation make sense of the early season. Uh, but he refuses to look at them. Uh, Patreon.com slash Thinking Basketball. We also have our monthly Q&A, which is really fun, coming up in our Discord. Uh, that will be, I think, uh, next weekend. Not this weekend, next weekend. And I, we're, we're two a week now, right? We're coming back on Monday. We're going to have some yeah. fun. Yeah, let's do it. Always having yeah. fun. Always. How did you feel this show went today? How did you feel this wild experiment of talking about the... Uh, the awards, the upcoming awards, because I'm just I'm watching every night. And I mean, we didn't even get to a Sar Thompson who might be the greatest defensive player ever, ever created in a video game lab. <laughs> we spent an entire like segment on the last episode talking about that. I kind of like this as a way to organize the conversation. I don't know if we should have like a string of them, but I like I like that we did the defensive player of the year. This is a fun, you know, getting our thoughts out there. Okay, cool. Let us let us know what you think. Um, otherwise, that is it for this one. Thanks, as always, for listening all the way through. And wherever you are, hope you are having a great day.